Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we said, as Danielle said, we're uh, speaking in the month of September. Our theme is called The Secret of Joy, and we're doing a deep dive into the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's part of our overall theme for 2021 of going deeper in the Word of God. We said we'd preach about one book of the Bible. So I, I trust you, if, if you're joining with us today for the first time, I'm going to catch you up real quick. But I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or the messages uh, that we've been looked at, that we've looked at already. Uh, I personally loved just researching for this series. I've loved it. I've loved doing all the, the geographical research, the cultural research, the historical research to bring you uh, this, this book of the Bible, Philippians. And just let me give you a real quick introduction to the book of Philippians for those of you who are either here for the first time today or new to church or have missed the last couple of weeks. First of all, uh, Philippi was a town in what we call modern-day Greece. In the Bible times, it was called Macedonia. Bible times, there was, there was Macedonia at the north and Achaia at the south, and it makes modern-day Greece. And so Philippi was a, a city. It was a Roman city. It was, although it was in Greece, it had been colonized by Rome. A lot of generals and ex-military had been sent and given land parcels in the town of Philippi. And so uh, it, had, it was very proud of its Roman heritage. And Paul visited there. Paul, who is a major figure of the Bible, uh, his Hebrew name is Saul. His Roman name is Paul. So up until he starts to travel to the, those non-Jewish people, the Bible calls him Saul. But when he starts to travel to those who are in the Roman areas, he begins to be referred to as Paul because that's both of his names. He is both Jewish and he's also Roman by birth. He was a radical Jew who persecuted Christians, had a a crazy salvation experience where he met Jesus and instantly became a radical preacher about Jesus being the Savior of the world, the Jewish Messiah, and he began to travel the world preaching about Jesus. People thought, this is ridiculous. How can he go from one day persecuting Christians and throwing them in prison, and the next day, how can he suddenly be preaching about Jesus? But that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he went on at least three missionary trips. So he was, it was based sort of in Israel, but he, he went around uh, what was called Asia and he went around over to Macedonia, ended up in Rome. And so we find that the, the, uh, the church at Philippi was planted on his second missionary trip. On his second missionary trip, he visited the four churches that he planted on his first trip. And then he went on further and literally wasn't going to go into Europe. He was going to stay in Asia. But the Holy Spirit blocked him from going into Asia. And he had a vision or a dream of a man from Macedonia, someone from Greece. And, and so uh, probably who cooked fish and chips, I would imagine, someone from Greece, just so you know. And, and he saw them in a vision. Some scholars believe that that man was actually Luke who wrote the book of Luke and, and Acts. They, they believe that was him because at that point in the book of Acts, the, book, the, the, the Bible, it goes from talking about they to we because Luke was now on this journey. And so Paul goes into the city of Philippi and as he goes into it, his habit would be wherever he would go, he would go to the Jewish synagogue and say, guys, I'm here to tell you we're waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah has come. 
His name was Jesus. Now, some of those people who would be in those Jewish synagogues would have been 15 or 20 years earlier in Pentecost when there was a, they would have been traveled to Jerusalem. They would have heard this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They would have heard Jesus being proclaimed in their own language with the gift of tongues and eventually gone back to their city. So some have already heard the rumblings of Jesus. And so he would start with people who were hoping for a Messiah. And he would begin to preach about Jesus. And as he would do that, uh, sometimes the Jewish people would welcome him, as in Berea. Other times they would say, no, that can't be true. And invariably he would end up not just preaching to the Jews who were waiting for a Messiah, but he would begin to preach to those who weren't Jews or those who were called Gentiles. And so Philippi is one of those places he goes. Philippi is so carnal, there's no, that from a Jewish point of view, there is no synagogue. You needed 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue in a town, and there obviously wasn't 10, so they met outside of the town by a river. And so Paul, uh, he's following the rules. He doesn't go into the town and suddenly try and preach. He goes outside to preach to these Jewish believers. And they, uh, uh, Lydia, a lady who, who sells purple um, clothes, purple fabric, she's like a, a rich clothes uh, fashion guru, if you like, hears the good news, gets saved, a number of people get saved. Paul gets beaten and thrown into jail. Just real quick catch up. Beaten and thrown into jail because he cast a demon out of a lady and, and they, all sorts of stuff went on. And so he gets beaten in jail, worships God in midnight, praises God. There's an earthquake gets sets free. The jailer and his whole household get saved. And in a couple of, in about another week or month, he's run out of town, but he's been there for three months. And the first church in Europe has been birthed in a town called Philippi. Okay, that's, that's the catch-up, okay? This is where we are. So this book is written about 10 years later from when the church is planted. And Paul's been back at least once on his third missionary journey, stayed there for a period of time to encourage them. He sent Dr. Luke to be with them for a couple of years to be their pastor and leader. He sent Timothy at different points to strengthen and encourage them as part of an apostolic team. And now he's writing to the church to encourage them. And this is really what uh, a large portion of the New Testament of the Bible are actually letters written from an apostle to the church that was founded at some certain point, sometimes addressing specific issues that he's heard about in the church. So, so uh, one of the, the helpers might come and say, hey, this is the issue going on there. And he'll include something that's specific in that church in that letter. And then, but as a general rule, he writes with themes. And if you read Paul's books, which are listed from Romans through to Philemon in the New Testament, you'll discover that there's some core themes that he writes about to the churches. I'm just going to quickly touch on a couple of those before we dive into Philippians. One, he's addressing the challenge or problem that the church is facing from outside the church. And they're in a community that believe in multiple gods. The Greeks and Romans believed in multiple gods. They'd just been moved to a, uh, before Jesus was born, where Rome became an empire, and they declared that Caesar is God. And they had temples to worship Caesar. So anyone who came along and said, no, Caesar's not God, and the gods that you serve, the gods of, of fertility and the gods of prosperity and the gods of rain, they're not gods either. There's only one true God. There's only one true Lord. He's not Caesar. He's Jesus. Anyone who declared that became an enemy of the state and was declaring treason. 
And many of them were being killed and tortured and persecuted because they refused to bow the knee to Caesar. And so a theme throughout all of Paul's letters was to encourage the Christians who had been born again, have faith. It's okay. Strengthen one another. Look after one another. Don't, don't be despairing if you're, you might be martyred. I'm writing from prison. I'm almost going to be martyred. It could happen to me, but I'm okay with it because there's a greater life ahead for me and Jesus is the Lord. That's one of the themes all through the letters. Then there's another theme. So that, that's about the problem from without. Then there's another problem that's within, and it's called the Judaizers. It's the Jews who have become Christians who believe that if you're going to become a Christian, you're not just becoming a Christian, you need to become a Jew and a Christian. Therefore, you can't eat certain food. Therefore, you, if you're a male, you're going to have to get circumcised. There's a whole lot of rules that you're going to have to follow if you want to become a genuine Christian. They're called the Judaizers. And they're almost worse than the Romans. Because they're going around from inside the church saying, it's not Jesus is not good enough. You've got to follow the rules. And so Paul writes to them. And every good Gentile man is glad that Paul said, it's baptism, not circumcision, that gets you in to the house of God. Can I get an amen today? But he fights for it because there's this religious drive to make Christianity about rules, not grace. That you'll become a Christian if you follow the rules, of being a Jew, and Paul writes and says, that's not how it is. It's by grace and the grace in the blood and the work of Jesus at the cross that makes you right with God. All you've got to do is believe in Christ and you can be born again and saved. So he had, that is a key theme that goes through many of Paul's letters. And then a couple of other key themes are themes of the call to unity for the church, the call to care for one another, the call to love for one another, and the call to live holy. He's saying, now you've been saved. Your holiness wasn't got you saved, but because you have been saved, you need to live a holy life like Christ. Those are the themes of the letters of the New Testament. Are we doing okay here today? That's just a, a catch-up. So Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians 10 years after he planted it, and he's got, and he's, he's kind of, uh, he's, it just overflows with joy, this book. It's amazing. I hope you've read the book of Philippians this month. If you haven't, I want you to read it, read it a couple of times. And we've titled this message The Secret of Joy, The Secret of Joy, because through it, Paul, the, the feeling of joy and the overriding sense of gratitude is amazing. The first week I talked about this, and Dan Frecker in Melbourne preached about this, that Paul's joy came from living a life on mission. And he, he wasn't based on circumstances and an internal happiness, but he had a deep joy that overflowed because he was living for a purpose greater than himself. Last week, Katie Haldane, what an amazing preacher she is. What a great message that was. Via video, told us that one of the themes of Philippians is joy is a choice. It's a choice we make. It's not based on a feeling. It's a decision. We rule our mind. We set our thoughts on things above. And joy is a choice. And today, I want to share with you over the next 20 minutes this thought, that joy comes from divine connections. This is a deep theme that runs through the book of, of Philippians. Uh, there's such a, 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 a stream of warmth and gratitude. There's a depth of relationship Paul expresses with the church. It's more than a professional relationship. It's more than a clergy relationship. It's a, it's a family, a depth of warmth. It oozes love. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, Paul opens the book and says, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from that moment I met you on the banks of the river, of the river. From the first day, the moment the, the guys who are still in your church, who's the jailer, when they got saved, I remember you with great joy, your partners in the gospel. He goes on in Philippians 4, verse 1, and says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, come on, that's the, that's the it's not my, he's not saying my disciples, my family, uh, who, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown. Now remember, this is Olympics. So the crown was the wreath that you would win if you won uh, an event. And so that's, the, that's what the crown, he says, you're, you're the gold medal of my life, our relationship together. Uh, stand firm in the Lord in, in this way, dear friends. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, over life, I'm now 50. I've now had been through multiple seasons of life and relationships come and go in different ways. Friendships come and go, and some friendships remain. I've noticed something about this, that, the, that of the people who came to our wedding, uh, there's only a small portion of those who are still a key part of my life right now. If you've been married more than 10 years, you'll probably recognize the same. Many of us can have friends who are what we would call situational friends. We went to school together, and our friendship was based that we were in this situation at school. We went to uni, and they're friends because oh, while I was at uni, we were mates. Or maybe when I worked in this job, we became friends, but you were work friends, situational friends, and when I left, I haven't really, we haven't kept up our friendship. doesn't mean anything bad's happened. It was just situational. Maybe we lived on a street together, and we built a friendship because you were neighbors, but then we moved away, and, and again, nothing bad happened. We were just situational friends, and so now our friendship is not what it once was. And, and even if we get together, it's kind of a nice to catch up, but our friendship was based around that or, or common interests, maybe sport or something about your children or your kids are at a playgroup together, whatever it might be. And they're that, that situational friends, and they're a beautiful part of life to be enjoyed wherever we are. But there's a deeper level of friendship that God wants to bring into our lives. And these are friendships that are built around purpose. I believe the deepest kind of friendships that you and I can have are built around purpose. This means that if we've got a purpose greater than our friendship, then we're both prepared to make sacrifices for one another for the sake of the relationship, for the sake of the friendship that will take that friendship deeper. That's, that's what family is can't choose your family, but you've got your family and you'll make sacrifices for your family uh, for the greater good. That's what some people will gather together and go, you know, oh, look, we, we all made sacrifices to win that premiership those 20 years ago and we've got a reunion and there's great memories because all through the year we sacrificed or maybe it was a, a business thing and we worked hard to establish something and because we did something together as a joint project, we've got a depth of relationship together. Or maybe, uh, and you know, some of you who I know in our church, we have people who've been in the military or who are in the military. And maybe you didn't just sacrifice some time and energy, you put your life on the line. And some of the, the soldiers who have reunions and get together will talk about the incredible depth of relationship because we fought together, we were in the trenches together, we, we sacrificed together and it forged a depth of relationship. And I believe that that's the kind of relationship that God wants for His church family. 
Are relationships that are born or not just around all oh, we were in the same church together, but we had a purpose greater than ourselves that caused a depth of relationship. So often people will say something like this, oh, I just want to discover my purpose. What's my purpose in life? And last year when we did What on Earth Am I Here For as a series, I, we came across this great thought and I love it. And it's simply this, don't worry about finding your purpose, find your people and you'll find your purpose. God will place you with people, and then out of the people, you'll discover what your purpose in life is. I've often said to, uh, to, to our young people, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Divine connections will set you up. Things on other people will rub off on you. So hang around with the right people. Lay your life down with the right people, and you'll discover purpose. Pastor Phil Pringle says it like this, I cannot fulfill my destiny on my own. You have a piece of my destiny in you and I have a piece of your destiny in me. And like a jigsaw, we need to be connected to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. The enemy wants to isolate us and cause us to be independent, but God wants us to be united together. This uh, chapter of Philippians, there's, there's at least four different relationships that are unpacked. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to go through them all today, but I encourage you to read it. There's, there's the relationship that Paul has with Timothy. He starts the letter from Paul and Timothy. He co-writes it. Paul is his spiritual son and he's his co-laborer. And there's a depth of relationship. And he talks in Philippians about Timothy and that relationship. I'm not going to touch on that today. Then there's the, his relationship with Epaphroditus or Epaphroditus, which is the more Greek way of saying it, Epaphroditus. I'm going to talk about that for a moment. Then there's his relationship with the Philippian church. And then he's, there's, there's his relationship with a couple of sisters in the church that he refers to. And I'm going to touch a bit on that a little bit today. Firstly, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. I reckon if he was an Aussie, we'd, we'd have a couple of great nicknames for him. I'm not sure. If he was an, if he was an Aussie, he'd be Epa. Come on, Epa, how are you, mate? Or maybe a little more creatively, he'd be the fro, Epaphroditus. He'd be, here comes the fro. Or maybe, if you wanted to take it another level, he'd be the mailman because he delivered the package to Paul and he delivered the letter back to the church in Philippi. I think, so this is the mailman, Epaphroditus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, this letter is essentially being sent back with him with Paul because he bought a care package to Paul in prison from the church in Philippi. And so he bought it to them. The Bible tells us that he almost died through that period, causing Paul heartache and the church heartache. And so Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Listen to what it says. Uh, verse 25 of chapter 2. I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. I love this. Through, Philip, through the book, he talks about your, your uh, continuous gifts to me have been a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You've partnered with me, with me in the gospel. I just want to look at those three things there for a moment with Epaphroditus. He says, he's my brother, he's my co-worker, and he's my fellow soldier, my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier. This hints to the three kinds of relationships that God wants all of us who are part of his church family to have. Firstly, we're family. 
Divine connections. We're family. When Jesus, we know this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Even before God made the world, He loved us and He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, brother, or hi, sister, as the case may be. You are family. Come on. We are our family. Come on, everybody. Anyway, I won't go on. Sorry. Oh, that, that, got the, that got the crowd going. We are family, which means we'll have differences, which means we'll rub each other up the wrong way at times, which means that there will be good days and bad days. But at the end of the days, we stick close together because we're God's family, brothers and sisters with Jesus. We can pray, our Father who art in heaven together, not my Father, our Father. With Jesus, we pray our Father. So we're family. That's the divine connection that God has. But hey, it goes deeper. It's not just my brother. He says, my co-worker. So we're not just family. We're workers. Uh, Jesus made this statement when his parents found him in in the temple. He said, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business. So we're not just family, but we've got something to do. We've got a world to reach. We've got a community to reach. We've got Melbourneites to reach. We've got Sunshine Coasters to reach. We've got, we've got chores that need to be done. We've got things that have got to get, get organized. We've got money to raise. We're, there's all of these things that we do because we're family, yes, but because we're workers. Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. I need workers, laborers, not consumers, but people who will contribute. There's a business, a mission for you and I to achieve. And then the third thing he says is we're not just that, but we're, he's my fellow soldier. This is the definition of divine connections, family, co-workers and fellow soldiers. That means that the church is built in a climate of spiritual warfare. That means that there will be warfare that comes against you as soon as you become a Christian, as soon as you become a co-laborer, as soon as you want to build the church with Jesus, there will be warfare. And that's why we need to fight together outside, not inside. Not against people, but against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's why we pray together and we fast together and we believe God because we want to see the kingdom of God come into our community. We recognize that there's a conquest to fight and we're part of an army of people. We're soldiers. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, soldier. This is the relationships that we have. We learn about it from Epaphroditus. You'll see that when Paul writes to the Philippians, he says this, thanks for the money you sent me. Because I've been in prison, no one was looking after me. And he said, in fact, you've sent me money on numerous occasions. He said, no other church partnered with me when I went to Thessalonica, but except you, you partnered with me. You looked after me. You cared for my needs more than once. And he says, because of your, this is the word, Philippians 1 verse 5, your partnership in the gospel. What's that? That's, that's, a, that's a work word, partnership. Because you co-labored. Because you used your coin to look after my needs so that I could preach the gospel where they weren't able to pay me. You co-labored with me. We're partners. And you will get the reward from heaven that I get. We're co-laborers together. The last thing I want to talk about in this thing is, is Paul writes to two ladies in the church. I reckon I'd be spewing 
If I happen to be having a fight with somebody, the moment Epaphroditus went back to the Apostle Paul with a care package, and then he told on me that I was having a fight with my friend Harry, and I was causing disruption in the church, and he told on me, and so Paul in his letter addresses my issues, not just for me to hear about privately, the whole church to hear about, but not just the whole church, the rest of Christians for eternity are hearing about my fight. Awkward moment, Apostle. So Epaphroditus has given him a report, and this is what he says. And I plead with you, Eudia and Sintik, I'm not sure how to say those ones, Philippians 4, 2 and 3, I'm in the, the passion, to settle your disagreement, to be restored with one mind in our Lord. I'd like you, my dear friend and burden bearer, to help resolve this issue. There's some kind of issue. It doesn't say what it is. There's some sort of disagreement. There's some sort of vibe going on that's causing disunity. And Paul says, your opinion is secondary, unity is primary. You can work through any issue to maintain the unity of the church. And he pleads with them. He says, you've already diligently labored, there's that work word, with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. All your names are written in the book of life. And he appeals to them. I like to take this moment for us as a church to appeal to us here on the Sunshine Coast in Melbourne. There's, there are issues right now that our world is facing that could easily become divisive issues for the church. And so I want to talk a little bit about just one of those right now. I want to talk about vaccinations. Okay, C3 as a movement have written to, to our Prime Minister and to Premiers in every state, asking that vaccinations be an issue of conscience, requesting that churches can have people attend who are vaccinated or not, that we don't have to turn people away. We're lobbying about that behind the scenes. Okay, just so you know that. That's, that's one thing. I believe that there's a spirit behind COVID that wants to do two things. It wants to bring fear to people and it wants to bring division to the believers. So we have to be careful that we're not warring against principalities, against flesh and blood or even the government, but principalities and powers. And so our powers in the spirit by being united. Now, I know that many believers who believe God has used the medical world to minister healing and protection. I believe God uses our medical world to bring healing to our lives. I believe that. There are many Christians who believe, in the case of the COVID vaccination, that God assisted in the development of this vaccination for the protection of people. That's an opinion that many people have. There are other people who have a different opinion, and their opinion is also valid. They have genuine concerns about the ethics behind the ingredients of the vaccinations or the way that they were developed, or that there hasn't been sufficient testing or that they've had um, serious side effects from previous vaccinations and are concerned, or due to personal health issues, have genuine concerns about vaccination. And all of those are valid reasons or thoughts. I'm not here today to tell you what to do. I'm just to, to acknowledge that they're both valid points of view for individuals. This is, this is not about whether you're a Christian or not. This is not about what we call dogma. That's whether you're a Christian or not. It's not about doctrine. That's about what, what kind of we agree together. This is about personal conscience. This is about a person making a decision before God with input from their medical health professional and being confident before God that their personal decision. And so when Paul writes to these guys, he's saying, let's just make sure that issue doesn't become an issue that divides us. 
so I believe that what we need to do as a church is respect that someone has to make that cho choice and to be very careful in our language, the way we talk about one another. We have to be, we do submit to our government. That's part of a biblical requirement until they talk, tell us to do something that is anti-Christ. So that's, and that's not what's happening here. Uh, so if you choose to not be vaccinated, I'll speak well and love you and speak well of you and I'll fight to maintain unity in the spirit. If you choose to be, I'll do exactly the same and I'll urge us all to do the same. I do want to say two things. I do want to say just two things. One, I don't believe that any person who uses medicine to get well has less faith than anybody else. Just to be clear. That's, that's just... So I don't believe if a person chooses to be vaccinated, it's a sign of weak faith. I think that's, that's not biblical at all. Uh, I also do not believe that this vaccination is the mark of the beast. I just need to say that. There's no biblical evidence that this is a mark of the beast kind of scenario. It doesn't line up with what Bible says about it. And so if you're listening to someone who's telling you it is, probably time to turn off that channel and just go straight to the Word of God for a season, just, just to be clear. Ephesians, Paul writes another one of these letters to the Ephesians, and I'm going to close with this. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, as a prisoner for the Lord, he keeps writing a lot of his letters from prison, I urge you to live a life of worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. C3 Powerhouse, that's us. We're making the effort to prioritize unity, to prioritizing honor one another, and to keep a spirit of peace together in Jesus' name. I want to pray for us right now as we come to a close. Melbourne, I know that there are going to be some hot issues coming up for you sooner than for the Sunshine Coast in terms of gatherings and passports. We'll send out emails as soon as we can about just updating on exactly how we're going to move forward. But that spirit of unity will undermine, undergird everything that we do. So we'll send emails out soon. Can we pray? Father, today we thank you for the power of divine connections. God, that you've joined us together as family, as co-workers and co-soldiers. And today we stand against the enemy who wants to bring disunity, who wants to rob us of our faith. And we bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that our church would be a church committed to the unity of the Spirit, speaking well of one another, that the enemy will not undermine our unity together in the name of Jesus. Today we pray for our family in Melbourne. Bless them, God. Be with them, strengthen them, encourage them, and watch over them, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. Melbourne, I'm going to let you go. Hand you back to Tobias. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much.